Give me a second, I owe an apology to a few people I regret a few things and I made some mistakes when I gave in to evil To all of my exes, I'm sorry, I know I was often deceitful But after Veronica cheated, I gave up and didn't treat future girls equal Welcome to episode 262 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. And I've got a very simple topic I want to talk about on this episode. And the reason I want to talk about this is there's not a lot of news going on. And I think you know it. I think those of you who follow the hobby, you kind of understand we're in this little bit of a holding pattern. We're waiting for a lot of these new titles to come out. The ones that are shipping, they seem to be just trickling out, like barely making their way to customers. Barely. I mean, it seems like Pirates of the Caribbean and Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castles, games that were supposed to be out months ago, are barely arriving into people's homes. And we all know that when people get them, the early adopters will just claim that they they are playing the greatest game ever and it's so deep and there's so much to explore in every new pinball machine that you spend thousands of dollars on. But what I want to do on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast is I want to read an email I got because this email got me thinking and it, it was very well articulated. Uh, it, it, they were making a point and I want to read you this email and I want to discuss that on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast because I think this email really gets to something that a lot of us in this hobby deal with and a lot of the things that go on inside our head. And I think a very simple way to put it is, is it worth it? Is it worth it the amount of money, the amount of energy, the amount of time that we dedicate to pinball and especially modern pinball? And I've raised the question many times on this podcast about the value of what modern pinball games are bringing to the pinball hobby as a whole. And so let me read this email and then we will discuss uh, what our thoughts are about this. So the subject of this email is modern pinball has devolved. And I want to read what this says. All right. It says, hey, Chris. I played some newer Stern pinball machines today, along with some Jersey Jack and Bally Williams games. I have to admit, the Stern pins feel like Walmart toys compared to the others, like a cheap plastic feeling, like seriously, some shit I'd buy for my 12-year-old nephew for Christmas. This leads into a bigger point of confusion for me. How in God's name is pinball surviving. With the exception of the LCD, new Stern games are no more technologically advanced than games from the 90s. Yeah, the inner mechanics are improved and the wiring and boards have a smaller footprint, but from a pure gameplay standpoint, these modern day games have not evolved. Just like you point out, the world under glass sucks on most modern games. It's not a world, it's a few ramps, loops, and scoops in a state the size of Delaware. So they slap on some cool artwork and choose themes that appeal to people receiving social security checks. Big deal. For six to nine grand a pop, 
These freaking machines should do my laundry and my taxes. Yet a modern day pen looks less sophisticated than a 1993 Williams Star Trek The Next Generation. Put Deadpool next to Star Trek and cover up the scoreboards. I think a whole bunch of people who knew nothing about pinball would say the 1993 Star Trek was made in 2018 and Deadpool was the older machine. Yet Jersey Jack games feel more solid and have a bit more sophistication, but still nothing mind-blowing. We are in the year 2018. Where the hell is the integration of modern-day computer mechs and technology that make these suckers truly worth what they charge? P3 seems like they are at least trying, though something is lacking on their side as well. Give us something that feels epic. I swear pinball is devolving, not evolving. And yet people continue to buy these things sight unseen or without playing them. At the end of the day, one $8,000 game is one game. It's finite. It gets old. Why do people continue to shell out thousands for games they just don't get the job done? Uh, that don't that just don't get the job done. I used to buy Williams 90s games when they were around 1500 to 2000 each, and that seemed crazy at the time. I remember when a game like Funhouse, made in 1990, blew my freaking mind. I'd like to own a modern game, but then I remind myself that I'm just not getting what I'm paying for, especially when the game feels like a box of LEDs sold at Target. It's awesome that Stern has kept pinball alive, but at what cost? They've jacked up the prices while delivering less and less year after year. It's a double-edged sword. I guess, thankfully, there's location pinball, but let's be honest, that's a rare occurrence. I can't see this absurdity lasting much longer. The bubble will burst, and in a few years, we will be looking back and asking, what the hell were we thinking? Continue to preach the pinball truth. All right. Well, that was an email from uh, Brian L. Brian, thank you for writing in. Uh, Brian Lyons, he wrote me that note. And I want to talk about that on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast because I think Brian has a lot of very interesting points. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us are living in a pinball world right now where we are satisfied with what we're getting if we don't look back, if we don't compare what used to be in pinball machines to what is currently in pinball machines, I think you can be pretty happy. I do. I think if you turn off the past and you stop being nostalgic about the Bally Williams era games and you look at these machines solely for what they are, I still think there is fun to be had with these modern pinball games. The problem is this. The problem is what these games cost. It is really hard to stomach. It really is. It's hard to stomach the fact that three stern limited edition games will cost you $27,000 for three stern LE machines. 
So you have Deadpool, Iron Maiden, and Star Wars LE, and you've paid $27,000 for that experience. I mean, it's, it's almost like they don't want us to think about pinball collecting or the pinball hobby in that way. They really would like us to have short-term memory loss, where every new game, we sort of think about it as its own island, as its own experience. But I don't think you can look at pinball like that. I really don't. I think you have to look at the total amount of time and money we invest in these games. And, and I have to say, I have to say, it's hard because if you were to ask yourselves, which game, all right, in 2018 delivers the most pinball magic? Magic. Which game? Which game seems the most innovative? Which game seems the most creative? Which one seems to be taking the most risks when it comes to engineering something you never seen before? And I have to say, I have to be honest, I haven't seen any pinball machine in, in a long time do something that I haven't seen before. And I think the real question is, is not which games today are delivering on the magic. The real question is, why are we continuing to buy and support and pay these prices when these games don't even come within a country mile of the kinds of innovations and engineering and world under glass items that used to be found in pinball machines? Why are these games costing three times as much with three times as little inside them. And, in, and it's at the point now where I think we, we all literally are acting like, well, we'll just take what we get because we're happy that pinball is back. And I think the point that Brian's making is what is the point? What is the point of pinball surviving if pinball stays the same? And not even that, what is the point of pinball surviving if new pinball games go backwards, devolve, give you less, but charge you much more? What is the point of that? Is it, is it making pinball more fun? Is it introducing pinball to a whole new market? Is it expanding pinball into a new generation? I don't think so. I'm not convinced that that is the case. All I think is really happening, and I think Brian says this as well, is we're all thinking about this very short term. I think a lot of money and a lot of people are going to learn the hard way that this really wasn't the wisest thing to do, to spend lots of money over like a five-year period buying all these machines thinking they were going to hold value. And, and I don't think you can not talk about you know, the depreciation of pinball games. I don't think you can be in any hobby where you're buying something that you'll get bored of. Okay, because let me ask you guys a question in this way. When you buy a watch and you collect a rare watch, do you get bored of the watch or will it remain in your interest for a long period of time? I'm not so sure, right? Because a watch is not like a game. You're not playing it. It simply is an item of fashion. It is something of style and of design. So you might get bored, you might not. 
right? Getting bored of something is also a subjective journey. But a pinball machine is a game. And it is a game where what makes it exciting is getting through the game and, 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 and getting through the modes and seeing what the game does and exploring the code, exploring the design. But ultimately, we all know that every game will get boring and that you will reach a period where you want a new gaming experience. Okay. Now, when a game is two to $3,000, uh, playing it, enjoying it, moving on to the next, not so bad, not so bad. But six to 9,000, 12,500, $15,000 for, for the Batman I'm looking at. I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard to see where that money went into these machines. And so then it begs the question, is anyone trying to do it differently? You know, here's the thing that I, I just can't get over in this hobby is, so you've got Stern, and Stern was never making the best pinball machines back in, in pinball's heyday. They weren't. They, these, these, they, just, they just survived, okay? They didn't win the pinball war. They just survived it. Bally Williams was by far running circles around anything Daddy East or Stern was putting into market. I mean, it was laughable how much better Bally Williams was than the games coming from Stern and Daddy East and, and then the games that they were making. And so Bally Williams decides there's no more money to be made in pinball. We're, we're making you know slot machines and, and, and gambling devices. And they close the pinball division. We've all seen the story. We all see how they tried to make pin 2K and it all flopped and all that jazz. But Stern just survived. And the problem is now is that you have the biggest company in the world making pinball, taking most of your pinball dollars. And it's not like they earned, right? Because they were making, they didn't, they didn't get to the top because they made the best and ended up there. They got to the top because the best around them just closed their doors. So they survived it. And look, you, you have to give them credit for that survival, right? I, I don't mean to like diminish what they did. And Stern did survive that era because they did make some phenomenal games. Lord of the Rings, right? Simpsons. Now, the games, you know, they're, they're not, those games, I, I think, hold up in terms of fun factor, in terms of theme integration, in terms of World Under Glass. Like those games gave you so much. And, and what I'm saying is, here we are, so many years later, so many years later, wouldn't you expect, wouldn't you expect the mechanisms, the engineering, the innovation in today's game, wouldn't you expect to see what you find on that play field to be far more advanced and far more magical than what you found in a Lord of the Rings, than what you found in a Simpsons pinball party, than what you found in an ACDC, than what you found in a Metallica. Like, where is the progression? Where is the evolution? And that is what Brian is saying, is that they're going backwards. They're taking stuff out. I mean, Iron Maiden, for all of its glory, when you look down at Iron Maiden, what's in it? Really, like, what is in that game not much 
great design, great flow, great artwork, but what's in it? And I think people are starting to see that more and more. And I think people's expectations of what to, um, w- you know, what to what they expect to find in a, in a modern Stern game are so low right now. Look at Deadpool, for example. Have you ever seen the hype on a game within the community just sort of dissipate so quickly? And I don't. It's, it's not people saying that they think Deadpool's good or bad, even though I really, really do recommend you go um, listen to Zach's review and the straight down and Zach and Greg's review over at Straight Down the Middle. An excellent, excellent review of the game. Very fair, very honest. But everyone keeps coming back to the same thing. It's like there's just not much there. Not much there. And some of it really, really looks like just corner cutting, like very, very overly simplistic design. And that works when your game is $2,000. It doesn't work when your game is six to $9,000. And so we're all being hoodwinked with artwork and with lights and with LCD screens, which are the cheapest things to put in a pinball game. You know how much an LCD costs? I bet Stern's cost per LCD is less than 100 bucks. I mean, seriously, LCD screens cost nothing now. And so, sure, there's money that has to go into coding these machines, but then you look at a pinball machine graphics, and you're like, these graphics, they're, they're worse than video games from 20 years ago. So that, that hasn't, they haven't, they're not even on par with where graphics are and displays are in, in 2018. In fact, it's embarrassingly bad that you can put a high definition image on that LCD and you look at some of the quality of, of these LCD animations. I mean, Jersey Jack's obviously putting a m- much nicer package up on the screen, but even them, too much on the screen, not enough magic on the play field. Jack's trying harder. There, no one would deny it that Jersey Jack is trying to do it and trying to give you the Bally Williams magic. But here's the thing. that They fail to do it. I, I don't think any Jersey Jack machine really comes close to delivering the kind of magic that Bally Williams games had. The only game that comes close to, in my opinion, that really, really comes close is Dialed In which isn't really a Jersey Jack game. And then it's Pat Lawler's game that Jersey Jack sort of like commissioned to make. And then I would probably say Wizard of Oz was number two with all the stuff that, that Balser put into that game. Um, and that, think about it though. Wizard of Oz was originally $6,000, maybe 6500 Did that put them out of, out, out of business? Who knows? Maybe, possibly. But Stern Games are now selling hand over fist for $9,000, for $7,500. And this whole notion, that I, and I can't shake this feeling, and I've been thinking about it on, on, on the walk home from work today. Why is it that regardless of what's in that pinball machine, right, regardless of what's in that Stern LE, it's going to be $9,000? Regardless. It, it, it's like no matter what's in it, no matter what the bomb is, no matter what the materials are, it's $9,000. And so I just have a problem with that. I have a problem if you put Deadpool, 
next to Star Wars, next to like Batman 66, next to Aerosmith, all put all the LEs next to each other and say, all right, every one of these games is the same price. And then there's, there's not the same consistency in what's put into those games. Now look, I think what Stern does, and I think the way Stern is driven these days, is because they're driven by their investors. You know, we don't talk about that. We don't. We, we, we hold up on pedestals the designers. We hold up the, you know, the coders. We hold up the artists. But at the end of the day, Stern is driven and Stern is led by the investors. The, 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 this company has investors that Stern has to answer to on every game made. And you can't deny or ignore the fact that these games are designed to a cost. All right? I don't think they're designed to a creative aspiration. I don't think they're designed... Um, to be as innovative and magical as possible. Do you, do you really feel that? You feel that. Like you look at Deadpool and you're telling me that that game looks like they really took a risk, all right? Or they really went out there and tried something new, all right? W- when's the last time we saw something like really, really new? I feel like the last thing that just at least felt new, even though it wasn't, it was kind of like an old mech from, an, from, a, from another one of his games, was the hyperdrive in Star Wars. But at least when you look down, you're like, wow, okay, it's got something in it that really is cool and different and and fun to watch. You know, watch those balls zip around. And I I just, I've got this feeling, okay, I've got this feeling deep down that we're going to be disappointed with Munsters. Because think about it, we're already like, yeah, Munsters, it's going to be amazing. Why is it going to be amazing? Like, why, why do we always project onto any future pinball machine this uh this feeling of euphoria this feeling of like magic is the next game is always where the most magic is going to happen because in our heads we grow up in a world in which we expect advancement right when you expect the new iphone to come out you expect there to be updates and innovation that makes the newer version better than the previous version. The same thing is true in the automotive world. The same thing is true in the video game world. In almost every aspect of life, we expect time to equal an increase in innovation, value, and progress. And I just don't feel that from pinball right now. And and it kind of bums me out. I, I, I definitely think the artwork has definitely improved but this but artwork is not an innovation artwork is not progress great artists have been around for centuries okay this is not new uh, the fact that people were spending the money they were on crappy drag and drop photoshop art uh, that just i think that showed them how little they had to give to get your money And I think what's happened over the last five years has simply been an experiment on how much can they yank out and still charge what they do? How much can they not deliver and still sell games out sight unseen? And they know they've got a a rabid, frenzied buyer base 
who all they need to do is just do enough and they will separate you from your money. And I am here to tell you today, what is it, September 17th, 2018. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really getting to the point where I'm just getting bored. I'm bored of always seeing the same expected approach to these modern games. And I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I, I don't even know what the answer is because I, I, I don't think the answer is like a complete reimagination of pinball like P3. But I also, to me, to me, the answer is a combination of the kinds of worlds Bally Williams gave us with the modern advancements and the progress in how to code a game. Right? Those two things, if, if they could marry those two things, to me, that is pinball nirvana. All right? And then I would love for companies to figure out really magical and interesting mechanisms to put into games. Not lazy, weird to look at, sort of just slapping LCDs onto games the way like it it, it like when I look at Alien, I'm like this that looks so stupid with a big black screen in the middle of the play field. When I look at Star Wars, how dumb does it look that there's that LCD screen there just for no other reason than just laziness? Um, you know, when I, even when I look down at the Compass and Pirates of the Caribbean, I don't mean that. I don't mean just like dropping tech onto a game. I mean like a device or something in the game that makes you want to say, hey, look at what this does, okay? And like would actually be impressive to show someone who didn't even know anything about pinball. You know, it's like when we talked to Robert Mueller about Magic Girl and he says that they think they finally figured out what John was going for and how to make the ball levitate. And but then he was quickly like, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be in the game. But it's that kind of ambition. It's that kind of magic. You know, mad scientists. I want a mad scientist to tell me what he can do with a pinball machine. Do you really feel like over at Stern, the guy who's got the crazy ideas gets the funding? Do you feel that way at Jersey Jack now? Look, I mean, I've, I've talked probably too much just about Stern, but look at Jersey Jack. They got ambitious. They tried to make the three rings work. And instead of making them work, they just yanked them out. Instead of making the treasure trunk open and close, they just yanked it out. And, and I'm sorry, but, but to me, that's the problem is everything else now left in the game. I mean, really, if you think about it, what is going on in Pirates of the Caribbean that makes you go, wow, a, ro a, a rocking upper play field? Cool. But let me tell you what's not cool about that, that thing. It's like when the ball just falls off the right side, it is like the lamest thing happening in a cool section that's new. You know, and so like, I don't know. I, I really, I, I just don't know why for this much money, anybody should feel unsatisfied or unfulfilled. And yet I, I just get this feeling that the best pinball machines are yesteryear's machines. And somehow if we could just get what went into those games, 
with the modern coding that's available that, that gives these games enough replay value for the home market, to me, that's where the sweet spot is. And I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think I'm being off? Do you think I'm being too critical? Do you think I'm just like acting this way because I'm bored during like a slow news week? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just can't shake this feeling that you could line up three stern LEs and tell someone that that cost $27,000. And the only way to justify it is you would bring up uh, the resale value. I, I, I just don't think people are, are going to get nearly the amount of money back on these games that they would have years ago when a lot of new people were coming into the hobby. Because I just don't think the experience is reflected in how much we're asking to pay for these machines. And I'm, I'm, I'm always like on the fence. Because I, I know we live in a modern world where like other things cost equally as much without as much going on. I mean, you can go buy, <laughs> you know, you can go buy a million things that cost as much as a pinball machine with with not as much complexity in it. But I again, like I think if you're going to judge pinball, you have to judge it within the context of what we used to get, how much it used to cost, and what we currently get, and what it currently costs. And you ask yourselves, does this feel like we're living in, in the era where like the best pinball machines are coming out? Or are we simply uh, being forced to just take what we get? You know, I hear it all the time. It's like I hear it when Charlie talks. Like, why can't everyone just be nice about the games? Why does anyone ever say they don't like a game that they're not going to buy? And I, and I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't want to live in a world where we we just consider this to be the best that we can do with pinball. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's, that's just the thought I wanted to discuss on this episode of 262 was, do you think this is the best pinball can be? Do you think we're living in a golden age of pinball where 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people will look back and say, you know what? It was that error where they really made the best pinball machines or or do you think we will never get back there? And it's really hard to recreate what went on at Bally Williams. I mean, I literally, uh, you just can't, you can't recreate that. And even though there's a lot of leftover individuals from that era, I think what's pretty apparent is the kind of support and the kind of outside the box thinking that went on at that company. And I think there's just a lot of competition that happened at that company for each designer to one-up each other and, and to steal the quarters from arcade goers. And it's a much different climate when you're trying to make a game that literally is trying to stop someone in their tracks in a crowded arcade and be, you know, be wowed by what they see in front of them and, and to get them to put a quarter in. They weren't designing those games to sell to frolics and home collectors. They were designing those games to compete in crowded arcades, and that meant that they had to do amazing stuff to get people's attention. And I think the problem today with the home collectors being the driving force is Stern has realized that the home pinball buyer, the home collector, is pretty much, uh, you know, kind of an idiot. Like they really, like they literally know they're making something that they can strip stuff out that they can get people to buy it without ever seeing it 
get people to buy it without ever playing it, get people to hype up their new games before they even seen it. And by the time it comes out, there's such a desire to own it that people don't even stop and ask themselves if it's even worth it. There's not a lot of pinball reviews out there that are good like straight down the middle. There's like 30 pinball podcasts out there where, where people are just obsessed and nonstop talking about pinball. Um, but, you know, Stern has it so easy. They don't really have competition. Their competition has done nothing but gone out of business and fumbled games and themes and products. I mean, Jersey Jack went out of business like three times. They, they, they've yet to ever even come close to becoming the company that they said they were going to be. Andrew Highway never came close to becoming the company he wanted. Dutch Pinball, another failure. Right, Spooky Pinball is like the only one that sort of, you know, held true to their word and made what they could and, and delivered what they said. But, but everyone knows that Spooky Games are not nearly as good as even Stern's. And then what is that saying? If you're going to go boutique, you know, it's like I was saying this to, to, to someone today. Who chooses to go boutique low-end? Like, you don't go boutique low-end. You go boutique when you when you become, like, bespoke and make the thing better. You make it limited and better. But just to make a, a, a somewhat average game and say, well, it's the best we could do, support pinball, please don't say anything mean about my game. Like, what? Who? That's not an evolution. You know, we're devolving when we get to that point where we're just we're just playing and buying these machines to support the industry. We're not even really asking ourselves if it's worth it, right? I mean, P3 is still struggling to get, what, 50 games made in six, seven years out into consumer homes? I saw one went up for sale, and a guy was like already taking $1,000 loss on it. I don't even know if it's sold. Chicago Gaming Company, heck yeah, because they're just making the stuff they know people love. But there's not real innovation going on there. And it's hard not to be a little disappointed. So where is the next mad scientist? Where is the next John Papaduke? Where is the next Pat Lawler? Where are they? Is it all up to them? There are 9 billion people on this planet and you can't tell me that we can't find new creative thinkers to lend their creative ideas to the world of pinball. Look at Zen Pinball. Look how innovative a lot of those designs are. Look how fun the world under glass is. I get that it's digital pinball. But I w I'm always wondering, could the people who design these Zen games, could they ever partner up with physical pinball engineers and figure out a way to do it? Now, the hard part is, like, how do you do it and do it to a cost? Because maybe you could make a world that's as magical and as awesome as Star Trek The Next Generation in, in 2018 and have all that that game had in there. But how do you do it when your volume of machine is three to 5,000 at best, when back then they could have sold 12,000, 15,000, 20,000 games so they could invest in making all those mechanisms, but now you can't. And look, I, I'm gonna say this, and then I'm gonna like just shut up and give you guys your night back. I would rather spend $12,000, $15,000 on a magical, holy fuck, world under glass game with incredible everything. I would rather just have two of those games, all right? 
two of those games. That would cost that much, but but there'd be that much in it. I'd rather have those games, two of them, than three stern LEs, right? Than three Jersey Jack games. There's just not that game that has come out in a super, super long time that has made people say, holy shit, that's pinball magic on all fronts, on all cylinders. And for what we pay, we should get the fucking magic. All right? You think it's going to be Munsters? You think it's going to be Beatles? Where do you guys see Beatles? It is so far in the wrong direction of magic. I mean, I just, whatever. It's all going to be about license and art. License and art. Put Franchi, put Zombietti, put Dirty Donnie. Let's cover these things in beautiful art and sell people expensive movie posters without anything going on in the game. And that's what you're going to get. I mean, that is exactly what you're going to get. And, and, and it's just like, it's unreal. It's unreal that, that the mech department people are like taking vacations while the art department is working overtime because art never breaks. Code doesn't break. But it also doesn't wow the same way. It just doesn't. What, here's another thing. What's the art on Star Trek The Next Generation? Exactly. I don't fucking know. But I, but I have a visual in my head of all the awesome stuff in that game. All the amazing mechs in that game. I couldn't tell you what the art is. It doesn't matter. The world is there. Right? Look at Deadpool. Strip away the art on Deadpool. Strip it away. That's what you're left with. $9,000 for that. Okay? Because cause here's the thing. You spent $9,000 on Deadpool LA. Get the same art. Same exact art as the guy who spent $5,000 on it. Same art on the play field. Oh, wait, different artwork on the cabinet? So what? If they had put the LE cabinet art on the pro machine and the pro art on the LE machine, nobody would have been like, what the hell? No, you can't. Because that's the thing is like, you, you don't see like three times the detail or three times the work in, on, on those pieces of art. And my point earlier, each machine's $9,000 or $7,500, regardless how good it is. When you go buy a Ferrari, here's a car argument for you. Is every Ferrari the same price? No. You pay more when you get more. You pay less when you get less. But this whole model of like every LE is the same price, regardless if you're getting the consistent uh, stuff in it, it's stupid. We're all stupid. All right? That's it. That's it. No news. No no Monster Bash remake. Nobody knows where Alice Cooper is. Why isn't it in people's homes yet? Nobody knows where Pirates of the Caribbean is. Like, how many are they making a day? Like, it's like they're making like one a week. You know? Nobody knows. Monsters. I bet you Monsters comes out in November. They're not going to go to Expo with it. They always do this stern. They love fucking Expo over. They love it. So what? We're going to see like Oktoberfest? And you look, you could say, Chris, what are you doing? You're bitching and moaning. But Joel Balser and Josh Kugler, they're going to make a game with a lot more in it, just like they did with Houdini. And you know what? I hope they do. 
I think they put a lot more in Houdini than is even in Deadpool or Iron Maiden or any of the recent Sterns. They just fucked up the design on it. Everybody wanted to like Houdini more than they did. It's because they fucked up the design and they got the art all wrong. All right, I'll say it. That art package on that game, it's not good. It's not good. But you want the game to be fun too. Don't make it frustrating. Just simple things in pinball. Fun magic. I don't want to come home and be frustrated all night long while Roto Dave keeps telling me everything's tight but makeable. I don't want that. All right? Look, Oktoberfest, if it shoots great, if it's got amazing stuff in it, if it's humorous, of course it can be. Of course it can be a great game. It's always going to have a difficult time selling because of theme. But that's why they have to make it that good. All right? They have to make it that much better. And they know that. They, these guys are not stupid. They know that. They have to know that. Or they are, you know, not going to survive. You know, I think Spooky Pinball's in trouble. I think Charlie's in a little bit of trouble. And I, what I mean by that is these companies, they need to play the long game. You need to constantly be building a buyer base and surviving because the word of mouth on your product is stellar. I think he's nervous. I do. I just got this sense when he, when, even when he pulled the curtain off the machine from day one, Chuck has been nervous about this game. For those of you who were there at TPF when he revealed this game, he could barely string together a few sentences about it. He just seemed really nervous. He's very insecure about these games. I don't think he ever feels like he, he's nailed it. And I think he kind of knows it, right? He was never insecure about TNA because he knew people already loved it. But he's got to win people over, especially in a world where he's locking people into their deposits. And I think you guys all feel it. It's like the post. It's like summer's over. Another year has gone by. Another year in which we never really got that wow machine that everyone is buying loving and just beyond ecstatic with i mean i would think if, if i had a pick like which machine like you succeeded the most and, and and again i say this but i still think it's missing so much of like what i would want in a pinball machine um is iron maiden i i think at least because the design was original and at least because like you know it's just something that felt different and it was different because it wasn't a stern machine. And, you know, is John Borg going to deliver you a machine that doesn't feel like every other stern machine? We'll see. All right. All right, everyone. Email me at canadapinball at gmail.com. Happy to read your emails on air. Look, a single email can turn into an entire podcast from me. A single email. Um, I just hope we get the magic back. That's really it. I really do. I'm, 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 just, I'm just worried for you guys spending all this money all the time and thinking that it's worth it. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just feel like it's not. That, that's just me. I wouldn't do it. If I woke up and I looked inside my game room and I had like $80,000 in like modern pinball machines, I'd be like, what the fuck was I thinking? I think Brian might be onto something. Everyone, have a great night. I look forward to getting your emails or not getting your emails. Either way, I do still love the hobby, but I do. I want to see things get better. I do. I, I think we're getting a lot of lazy cookie cutter shit. And they listen to this podcast, and I, I that's where we're at. 
give me something that looks like it's fucking worth nine grand and I'll give you my $9,000 tomorrow. Have a good night, everyone. This song is dedicated to Taylor Eller. We love you. And may you rest in peace. <laughs>